0: Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Kristen Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the done in the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ, for each and every one of us. Take a moment right there in your living room as we take a moment here in the musicians and singers. Just continue to help us zero in our thoughts, our attitudes on the goodness of God, the love of God. right there in your living room, you can just stop right now and just begin to thank God for His kindness. You can begin to thank Him for your for the goodness that He has shown to you throughout this year. You can stop and thank Him for salvation, that He took your sin upon the cross. The whole reason He came The whole reason we celebrate Christmas is the beginning of the coming of the Son of God with a purpose and a plan to redeem all mankind back to Himself. We're going to talk about that this morning as we center our thoughts around Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11. But before we even do that, before we just jump into the text, why don't you just stop and and thank God that He has saved you, thank God that He has redeemed you all of your sin has been forgiven and it all began on Christmas it all began that evening when Christ was born we've sung about it and we'll continue to sing about it and we'll continue to celebrate because this is a season of celebration we trust that you're celebrating there at home and you're celebrating with us here as we gather in this empty sanctuary but it's not empty because we know the presence of the Lord has already filled it and we know that the presence of the Lord is filling your living room and your den right there as you join in with us. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, now just settle back for a moment. Maybe get find your Bibles wherever you've put them down in your home, in your living room, in your den. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11. And we'll just jump in to the text this morning. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, team. That was amazing. It's so good to worship together, isn't it? So Philippians chapter 2, this is um, just a provo- profound portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul writes concerning Jesus Christ and His coming. And before we actually jump into the text, I want to just say a couple of things to make you start thinking. First of all, have you ever thought about you know how religion, whatever religion it is, if it has a heaven and it has a hell in its conversation... Typically, heaven is above and hell is below or earth is down. So heaven is up, hell is down. Psalm 14, verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind. And so when we begin to talk about Christmas and we begin to talk about the coming of the Son of God, we begin a conversation about this round trip that Jesus took. He came down from heaven onto the earth and lived for 33 years. And then, after His crucifixion, returned to heaven in His ascended glory. In the second chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers and he's challenging them in regards to what Christ has done, but he's actually challenging them in regards to the attitude that they live with as a result of what Christ has done. In verse 5, he begins, and I'm using the, uh, a new translation for me. It's called the Christian Standard Bible. I think it's a good translation. It says, "...adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus." Wow, what a challenge to begin with. He says, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about what he did for us, and we're going to talk about his attitude while doing it. And I'm challenging you as a Christian, this is what Paul is saying, to adopt the same attitude. He says, here's the attitude of Christ, who existing or being in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he tells us throughout this stanza of verses that there are three things or three responses that we can take as we consider our journey, not only with the Lord, but our journey to eternity And so we're just going to squeeze in some of these verses very quickly here this morning and make a quick application for you there at home. But as we do that, I want you to understand that he begins the text or he begins this conversation with the real message of Christmas. And the real message of Christmas is this, that Jesus Christ is both God and Lord. I want you to think about that for a moment as you prepare for your celebrations or in the midst of all of the busyness of your decorating and buying gifts and things of that nature. And all of that is exciting and all of that is fun. But the real message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ is not only God, but he is Lord So let's break down the paragraph just a little. It's one of those jewels, I call, of the New Testament Scripture. It's almost unapproachable in its majesty. Verse 5, he begins by saying this amazing statement, and the statement has to do with the essential nature of Jesus. He says, he being or existing in the form of God. Now that term being there is very important as you interpret the Scripture, And I want to take a little technical time here with you because I want you to understand what Paul is saying. When he uses this term being or existing, he's talking about one's essential nature or one's essential essence, the unchangeable truth about that person. So he's saying his being is that he is God. That's who he is. He refers to the unchangeable, unalterable essence of who Jesus is. His nature is God, but he doesn't stop there. He says being in the form of God. Now, the Greek term for form there is a term that speaks and refers again to a person's characteristics or the qualities or the attributes of someone. Now, when we use the term form in the English, which is really a weak word in relation to the Greek, we we think of something that's external and something that we can form and change and alter as we so desire. But this Greek term form actually uh, says, uh, no, it's internal and it's essential and it's the abiding characteristics or attributes that belong to someone. And so as he begins to describe Jesus to us and the coming of Jesus in the context of Christmas, he is saying that he is one who is, in the fullest sense, God. In the fullest sense, he possesses the attributes and the character and the eternal nature of God. And then in verse 6 he says, but of that, he didn't exploit it. Or another phrase says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So even though he was God, he didn't grasp after being God. He possessed equality with God, but he was willing, according to verse 7 that says he emptied himself, he was willing To let go of it all. Now that's a powerful statement and it is the essence of the message of Christmas. The term to empty oneself means to pour it all out until it's all gone. Now some people would suggest that he emptied himself of his deity, but he couldn't if his essential nature was one of being God. It was his essence, his, who he was, so he couldn't empty himself of his deity. And then others would say that, that he divested himself of being in the form of God. But then again, having just looked at the text and the words, we realize that that's impossible because it was his very essence. It was the nature of who he was. It was the characteristics that made him up to be the person that he was. So what did he empty himself of? What is Paul pointing to? I believe Paul is saying he emptied himself of his glory, his divine glory. When he came to the earth as truly and fully God and he became a human being, the thing that he veiled, the thing that people were not able to see was the glory and the honor of who he was. I think this is evident when you read the entire Gospels and you see that there was this moment on a mount. It was called the Mount of Transfiguration where he pulled back that veil just for a moment and three disciples sat there in wonder as they saw the glory and the majesty of the one whom they had been walking with for three years. He veiled his glory when he came to the earth. Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesied this, and he said that that there would be no beauty in him that men would desire him, that he would be despised and, and he would be rejected as men. And as you read the New Testament, you see that unfold. You see he was hated, he was treated with scorn, he was shamed, he was spat upon. He was beaten, and he gave up his honor, and he gave up his riches, and he gave up his glory. And so he gave up, when it says that he emptied himself, he gave up his personal authority, his own independent exercise of his authority. He gave up his omniscience. That is, he said, I don't even know. When the second coming is going to happen. No one knows that but the Father. He gave up His omnipotence. Think about this. He could have called at any time legions of angels to defend Him. But He did not. And He gave up His glory. He gave up His honor. He gave up His riches. He gave up the independent exercise of His will. And He submitted and subjected Himself to the will of the Father. Even to the point that while on the cross he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He emptied himself. It's a deep mystery filled with wisdom and wonder and power. This is the nature of his humiliation, but it's also the nature of his love. So Christmas begins with the Son of God abandoning his sovereign position. But he didn't stop there. In abandoning his sovereign position, he picked up, we're told, the place of a slave. The place of a doulos, one who subjects his will to another. And in coming, he surrendered. He didn't masquerade as a slave. He just didn't put on the costume of a slave. He didn't just put on the garments of a slave. But he actually took on the very attributes and characteristics of a slave. He submitted himself absolutely and totally to the will of another. It was the will of his father that he gladly submitted himself to. He became a slave of God that he might serve us at the point of our deepest need. Now let me finish the text and then make some quick application for you. So think about what we've said as we've looked at the text this morning. He abandoned his sovereign position. He accepted a slave's place. He approached a sinful people, adopted a selfless posture, and finally, we're told by Paul, he ascended as a supreme prince. For this reason also, what reason? The reason of his submission, the reason of his humiliation, the reason of his obedience to death, even the death on the cross, for this reason, because he perfectly obeyed the Father and accomplished redemption, the Bible says God now has highly exalted him. Now, here's the application. First of all, when you hear these truths and you accept them as truth because you find them in the word of God given to us by an apostle, the first thing that we need to do in application, according to the apostle Paul, is conform to the spirit of Christ. The entire life of Jesus isn't a story about somebody trying to climb the ladder, somebody trying to get better than another person. It's a picture of someone coming down the ladder. It's a picture of someone coming low and humbling himself. In eternity, he was at the top, if you want, of the organizational chart. But he went from the top down to the bottom. The Bible says he was made even lower Than an angel. You know what's lower than the angels? You and me. He was an ordinary man, an ordinary human being. He laid down his glory, he laid down his honor. He wasn't born in the palace of a king or a queen, but he was laid in a manger by a peasant couple who were locked in a struggle of poverty. And from the time that he was born until the time that he died, he spent his entire life doing two things, obeying God and serving others. When Paul says we should be like-minded, that's what he's saying. He's saying you should live your lives like Christ lived his life, obeying God and serving others. That's the mindset that we're encouraged to have. Listen, we're not God, but we can be gracious. We're not heavenly, but we can be humble. We're we're not sovereigns, but we can be servants. And when you are on the way up, and anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your eternity is locked in. You are on your way up. But while you're on your way up, Paul says... Don't stop acting and thinking like Jesus. Live like Jesus did. That's what it means to be conformed to the Spirit of Christ. Number two, we must confirm the sacrifice of Jesus. If you don't recognize that the coming of Jesus was for the intent purpose of leading Him to a cross where He would give of Himself He would lay down His glory and His honor. He would lay down His life for your sake and for mine. Then you miss the story of Christmas altogether. We need to confirm the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me ask you a couple of questions as you think about that. If if you were God, if you were the God of the universe, would you leave your throne in heaven, think about that, and come to earth so that you could sleep in straw. Surrounded by smelly animals. If you you knew that the vast majority of people that you came for would reject you, would you still come? If you knew that the tongues that you had created would curse you and the mouths that you created would spit upon you and, and the hands that you created would crucify you, would you still come? See, what you see when you look at the sacrifice of Jesus is that you see one who gave up a crown for a cross. You see one who gave up adoration for humiliation. You see one who gave up sovereignty for suffering. You see one who went from sitting on a throne to laying in a manger and then to hanging on a tree. He went from being a king with a crown to a baby in swaddling clothes. Eventually becoming an accused criminal even though he was innocent and he was hung on a cross. Now why would he do that? Why would he lay all of his glory down? I'll give you three reasons. Number one, because your eternal soul was so important. That he was willing to shed his precious blood for your salvation. Number two, your eternal life meant more to him than his earthly life. And number three, he gave up his place so that you and I could have a place in heaven. And then the third application is easy. We need to confess the sovereignty of Jesus. You see, Paul concludes his thoughts by saying, there is a name that is above every other name. And it's not just the name Jesus. The name of Jesus is beautiful. But what Paul says is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. You see, Jesus is his earthly name. Lord is his eternal name. Jesus, if you want, was his human name. Lord is his heavenly name. And here's how I want to conclude this. We all have a date with deity. It's not a blind date. We know who we are going to meet. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And you'll keep that date whether you want to or not because the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the kind of date that you can't stand up and stand him up or miss or forget that you even had. You won't refuse the invitation because when the invitation comes, the invitation comes to all. Every person who has ever drawn breath is going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unescapable, unavoidable, and inevitable. So when that meeting takes place, when every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus is the sovereign Lord, it's going to be a marvelous day for those who have put their faith and belief in Him. It's going to be a terrifying day for those who have refused him. But how can you refuse one who has loved you so deeply and so well that he would lay aside all of his glory, that he would lay aside all of his majesty to become a babe in a manger, to become a man who is crucified on a cross, to be a Lord who is now ascended in glory. This Christmas season, it is our hope. It is our prayer that if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, that this Christmas you would take a moment right now, that you would stop and you would recognize that Jesus came for you. That everything that I just explained to you and everything the Apostle Paul wrote was for our understanding, even though so much of it is mystery. It's an understanding that Jesus loves you so deeply and so wonderfully that He surrendered all of that majesty, laid it down, so that you and I could come into relationship with Him. I wonder this morning, where are you at in your walk with God? It's a simple prayer. It's just, Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness and that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe you came for me as a babe you grew to be a man and you died on a cross and that the shedding of your blood was for the forgiveness of my sins Christmas is about you coming but Christmas is about also my being in relationship with you and so Lord Jesus I ask you to come and be the king of my heart and be the king of my life this Christmas season so I conclude with just three simple challenges to each and every one of us number one what's one practical step you can take this week to conform to the spirit of Christ who can you serve who can you look after who can you lay your life down for the realm of service I want you to think about that and, and maybe it's a family member maybe it's the next door neighbor maybe it's somebody at work and, and it's simple things that we do shoveling a sidewalk buying groceries making yourself available in the service of others let's all take on the attitude of Jesus this Christmas season and look for ways to serve other people number two Take the time right now, today, and as we approach Christmas to consider the kind of sacrifice Jesus made for you. And are you living in light of that sacrifice? Are you living out your salvation? If you've made that confession of faith today, if you prayed that simple prayer today, We stand rejoicing with you. What a wonderful choice you've made. Now it's time to live it out. And you know, Paul says later, he says, live out your salvation in fear and in trembling. And then number three, if someone looked at your life from a distance, would they be confident that you believe and live according to the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus Christ? Listen, every one of us, have been blessed in order that we be a blessing. This is a season when so much is being restricted and and things are so difficult and we're having to make hard decisions. It doesn't limit us. We can still be a blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And from Joan and I, we say this Christmas season, let's do that. Let's, Let's acknowledge that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing from Joan and I, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We pray that your celebration within your small groups and within your families will be better than it's ever been. Let's not restrict ourselves. Let's go big. Go big in our homes. Let's celebrate. Yes, we can't do the things that we normally do, and we won't be meeting here together on Christmas Eve, but we can still celebrate one of the greatest stories of all time, one of the greatest truths of all time, the coming of the Son of God for all mankind. Peace on earth, goodwill towards those that He favors. Go big in your homes and go big with your celebrations. Amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you.